everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 35. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. If you have been listening, thanks so much for coming back to listen. And I just have to say thank you again to everyone who has reached out and sent messages, written reviews. I just appreciate it so much and I love getting feedback from you guys. So keep it coming, especially those reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. They really do help people to find the show. <laughs> um, so today's show, I have a really good one plan that I'm super excited about. I am speaking with Katherine Cooley, who is a school psychologist, and she actually specializes in assessments for autism diagnosis. So I I talk about this in the episode, but I really often hear from parents who are, you know, very new in this journey or haven't even maybe gotten the diagnosis yet and they're just seeking that out. And so I think for, for anybody, there's a lot of good information, but especially for people who are really just trying to navigate this in the early, the early days, I think this would be a really great listen because <laughs> um, Catherine really goes over like the whole kind of diagnostic process and everything that goes into it and it's really interesting um, and then stick around definitely listen till the end because we also talk a little bit about IEP meetings and what that looks like because as a school psychologist she deals with with those type of things too I personally found that super helpful because we are preparing for Logan's IEP it is coming up shortly so so she had some some really great tips. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi there. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to talk about autism. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you too. Um, so just a little backstory. So Catherine and I were connected through a, a mutual kind of friend of a friend situation. My one of my very close friends, Amy, has a neighbor who is friends with Catherine. And we met at a birthday party and we were chatting just about the podcast. And she was like, Oh, I have a friend who works in a school setting and she works with kids with autism. And I just knew immediately I was like, Ooh, I gotta I gotta hunt this girl down. <laughs> So then you and I were able to connect and now finally we're getting to record. I'm so excited. So I don't want to like say anything wrong. So I'm going to let you just kind of do the talking here and kind of explain <laughs> what it is that, that you do. So if you'll kind of take us back to the beginning and like how you first were interested in autism and what brought you to the field, I would love to hear about it. Sure. So I um, have an undergraduate degree in psychology from Western Michigan University, which is pretty well known for applied behavior analysis, and that's one of their specialties. So while I was there, I did a internship at um, the university's like ABA Autism Center, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so after graduation, I got a job in Indianapolis as a direct ABA therapist, um, providing intervention to young children with autism. And that was a great experience, um, you know, really being hands-on day-to-day uh, you know, working with a variety of different individuals with autism. And from there, um, I pursued a graduate degree in school psychology uh, from the University of Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and which is a great combination of psychology and education. I know I could never be a teacher, but I love working <laughs> in schools. Um, so I have a master's degree in school psychology and then also an education specialist degree in school psychology. 
Um, so those two things, and then paired with just my interest in autism and um, my prior work before graduate school led me to my first job. And that was at um, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia at the Center for Autism Research. So it was my first job as a school psychologist at a grad school. And that is really one of the best children's hospitals in the country and the chance that I got to work at the Center for Autism Research. Um, and that really focused on evaluating children with autism, children with developmental delays, and then a variety of other disabilities from birth through, um, you know, teenagehood and giving them a variety of different assessments. Um, so that was a great learning experience and gave me the opportunity to work with a lot of different just types of infants and children and teenagers. Um, and then from there, I went back to more a traditional role of a school psychologist and worked for a school district where I worked with primarily elementary age children, um, but I, I could work with age three through 21 in the public school system. So I did that for several years. And then most recently, I worked for myself. I started a business where I consult with um, charter and private schools in both Delaware and Pennsylvania. So that's kind of a quick snapshot of how I got to where I am today. Yeah. And, and through, through all those different, um, just different careers I've had, I've really always specialized in autism assessment, evaluation, uh, teacher and parent consultation of children with autism. Um, and so that's always really been my area of focus, my area of interest. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> you're just, yeah, you, you, you've kind of done it all. Um, <laughs> I love it. Okay. So tell me just like going back to, I mean, even, even in like your undergrad, what, what drew you to, to this field to work with kids with autism or was it like an accident? Like, how did that happen? Well, I think it was kind of purposeful. I mean, I had that undergraduate kind of internship. And then when I moved out of state, I was kind of looking at all different jobs. And since I had that experience, and this was also looking back, you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't a lot of people who had any experience working with autism, any experience, you know, doing applied behavior analysis. So the, when I moved yeah, to Indianapolis, I feel like was... ABA is like a relatively new therapy. So sure. it, it's so funny because I, I mean, I'm in the Midwest, so I know a ton of people that have gone to Western Michigan. Oh, okay. And I didn't even realize that it was like known for, for ABA, which is crazy. Um, but I feel like, like I, I mean, obviously my son is six, so I've only been kind of immersed in this for the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, 15 years ago, like they must've been like on the cutting edge of ABA. <laughs> yeah, I think they really were. And it's funny, before we did this podcast, I went on their website and they've like expanded their services significantly. I think when I did it, it was like one room with like five kids doing like direct <laughs> ABA. So it's huge now. And um, when I got my first job, again, it was like there was one center in the whole state of Indiana that did ABA. So it just kind of happened that way. And then it kind of, I think I seek out opportunities to work with individuals with autism, but I kind of think they find me as well now that you've asked that question. <laughs> because um, my first real, after I worked at the Children's Hospital and I worked for a school district, I was part of a team who developed a um, pilot program for students with autism. So it was more like high functioning kids, um, but who were on a diploma track, but students who really struggled to function in a typical classroom. So they needed a lot more communication supports and social skills supports and behavioral support. So I was part of a team that um, developed the program for that school district. So yeah, I think I've kind of found opportunities for autism and the opportunities have found me as well. Yeah. Gosh, that must be so rewarding, especially with, like you said, 
you know, because there are a lot of people on the spectrum who are, you know, probably not going to get a diploma and that's mm-hmm. okay too. Yeah. Um, but for the ones who are, like you said, are, are on that path, but they just like need that, that extra help. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so amazing that there, you know, there's, there's programs like that that are able to facilitate that. Yeah, definitely. I think again, uh, even a few years ago, there was, if you had autism, it was kind of assumed, you know, you were either super high functioning or you were nonverbal, not the kids mm-hmm. kind of who were in the middle who still needed a lot of support, but you know, could be successful and could function and you yeah. know, have jobs down the line and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I feel like we are like, you know, as a, as a society, like as a whole, like just kind of starting to, to shift in the right direction in terms of like, just that awareness piece and people like understanding more that, you know, autism is a spectrum and mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it goes from A to Z. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not so black and white. It's, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. So explain to me a little bit, because I do get like the majority of people that listen to the show are obviously parents with children with autism. <laughs> sure. Um, but a lot of the people that reach out to me are parents that are like either just diving into this process, like just starting to seek a diagnosis, have just mm-hmm. gotten a diagnosis. And obviously, you know, as a parent that can feel really overwhelming. So now for you, like in, in the assessment, can you tell me like just a little bit about like kind of what goes into that for people who are not, not as familiar and they're kind of like looking into doing this? Sure. Um, so if I'll just walk you through, if I had a student Please. who came into school, who there was a question that they may have either the parents might come out and just say autism or they probably will more likely say, well, they're not talking as much as they should, or they don't play like other kids, or they have some of these kind of unusual behaviors. So if it was um, pretty much every age we would, or I'm thinking preschool, early elementary, because that's Mm -hmm. primarily where the educational evaluations occur. Yeah. Um, We would do, um, pretty much a full evaluation. So you look at things not just related to autism, because sometimes it's not autism. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. anxiety or a language-based delay or behavior, Mm -hmm. you know, a variety of things. So I think it's always best practice to do a full evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would give an intelligence assessment. I would look at the academic piece. Certainly those are just like standard. Um, We would do a parent interview. If they were already in school or preschool, a teacher interview, uh, behavior rating scale. So those are standardized kind of questionnaires that we would give out to teachers and parents. Um, we would also do um, autism specific assessments. So that would also be a parent questionnaire, a teacher questionnaire, and then also the autism diagnostic observation schedule, which is currently the gold standard in autism assessment. Um, and it's a specialized assessment tool. So not all psychologists certainly are able to give it. Um, and it's I'm not sure if you're familiar with it at all, but it is more of an observation-based assessment. So you set up the situation to see the child, um, how they interact socially and play-based skills, communication skills. And then you're also looking for the presence of any repetitive behaviors or interests. So that's really um, what a full evaluation would entail for just, you know, your typical kid who comes in for an autism referral. Yeah. So now you and I were talking a little bit beforehand um, and you were basically explaining like the difference between like a medical diagnosis and then mm-hmm. a diagnosis like within a school setting. Sure. So what exactly is the difference there? So the actual assessment is not different at all. I think if you okay. sucks, like we're seeking out a medical diagnosis or a school-based educational classification, the 
assessment, what I just described, is going to be the same, hopefully, in both settings. Um, the big difference is, so a medical diagnosis can, is done by a physician or a clinical psychologist, and you get a medical diagnosis, which you can use for insurance purposes. So that's really mm -hmm. the medical piece. Um, you can always take that medical diagnosis to school. So in most states, um, it is autism is a birth mandate, which means the school district has to provide services from birth on. Most kids with autism are not diagnosed till two or three. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely by three in all states, they would be able to receive school-based services for their diagnosis mm -hmm. if, if, it, if they require services. Um, so then you would need the educational assessment to access the school-based services. So although the assessment's the same, kind of the path for both are different. That it's interesting because so my son, you know, we started with him in early intervention when he was like not even two. He was okay. like 20 months old. Sure. Um, and then, you know, so that like you said, that goes to age three. And then mm -hmm. when it was time for him to go to the district, he he did do an evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't like as detailed as what okay. you're talking about. I sure. took him to it was almost like taking him to like like a, a mock preschool okay. kind of. Mm -hmm. And it was like he was they were they, they definitely observed him. I filled out a ton of paperwork. Mm -hmm. Um nobody said to me at that point that they thought he had autism. Sure. <laughs> Which and like so the, yeah, this was you didn't have the medical diagnosis yet. Right? No. Okay. No, because he was not he was like just turning three. Okay. This, this was like before he had even turned three. Okay. But it's funny because looking back, like all throughout early intervention, um, he did he did speech and OT. Mm -hmm. His his therapist would say to me like, mm, like they, they kept saying that he had a global delay, okay. but never said autism. And I would oh. even say to them like, do you think this could be autism? And they were like, I don't think it is. And I I always think back now and I'm like, were they just trying to like, you know, spare my feelings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And, and the truth is like my son. I mean, again, every kid presents differently, and mm -hmm. like. Logan, he is, he is nonverbal. So like, that was always our biggest challenge was like the speech. Mm -hmm. um, but he, especially when he was young like that, um, a lot of his behaviors weren't as kind of magnified as they are now. Okay. So in some ways, I think that he did, you know, kind of present like typical enough that you would be like, mm, I'm not sure. Um, but looking back, especially, like I said, at that, that evaluation, like to, to start preschool, uh, nobody, nobody ever said to me, like, you know, maybe you mm -hmm. should take him to, to be like, you know, evaluated. And I don't know if it's because they, they really didn't think that he needed to be, or again, if they just like weren't, they didn't want to like burst my bubble. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think in school settings and this is somewhere I disagree with a lot of like, yeah. other special education team members. And this is just from my experience, but yeah. people are scared to say, that a child has autism like oh, I'm so scared and I <laughs> like and a lot, so they'll get the educational classification of developmental delay which you can mm -hmm. have at three up until kindergarten or beyond for most states and so every kid gets developmental delay which kids with autism yes they have developmental delays but I think mm -hmm. there really needs to be more precision and appropriately classifying and diagnosing these students for you know and in schools I a lot of special ed team members say well the classification doesn't drive programming. So teams, special ed teams will provide the programming the child needs regardless of their classification, right. autism or not. And we, and then on the other hand, we also have young children who sometimes present as autism 
And then once they're in a school-based setting and they get, you know, a really rich language environment and social opportunities, you see that, oh, maybe it really wasn't autism. Maybe it was that, you know, they were in a home where they didn't have a lot of language um, Mm -hmm. opportunities or, uh, you know, things like that. So it is hard to say with those young kids who haven't really had a lot of exposure, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I think we see so many special ed teams who what they want to call it everything but autism. And I think it's just, it's one of the newer disabilities that has gone from just a medical diagnosis to, you know, school psychologists really being able to assess and diagnose it appropriately. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I've had one other person on the podcast so far who, who had gotten a, a a diagnosis from the school. Mm -hmm. Um, like you and I were saying before too, like we took Logan to a developmental pediatrician because mm-hmm. that was what was recommended by our pediatrician again. Mm-hmm. And that was when I like really pushed and yeah. said, I think something's going on here. Sure. Um, and then we were able to get the referral to, mm-hmm. um, it sounds maybe similar to what you did when you worked at the hospital. Sure. Mm-hmm. We took him to a, a local hospital here, but it was the center for the pediatric brain. Okay. Like, so it was like a very thorough, mm-hmm. like, similar. Kind of like how you were talking about, mm-hmm. like when, when you do your evaluation, not sure. anything like when I took him to the little like preschool evaluation, yeah, it was sure. like, I filled out stacks of paperwork that yeah. took months. Mm-hmm. We were there that day, like for hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's more. And I I mean, if I personally, like if I had a kid with autism, I would go the medical route first, just because I think, you know, which is funny because I'm a school psychologist, but not a lot of school teams (laughs) are, um, you know, well-versed in those thorough kind of assessments. And, you know, just, I think it's good to have both. You can have the medical piece. And I mean, now that your son's school age, I'm sure he has an IEP and has a classification of autism at school, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was like when he, he was in preschool at the time when he actually got the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do, I do think it's got to be like different everywhere because I mean, again, even, even when he was in preschool, I remember there was one it was the speech therapist. I've, I've talked about this before in the podcast, but the only person who, who ever like said to me, <laughs> um, that they thought that Logan had autism was, um, it was a male speech therapist mm-hmm. in the first preschool classroom that he was in, which he, his birthday is in December. So he started halfway through the year Okay, and I, I'm not going to lie. I was like pissed when he said it, <laughs> not, but not even because I disagree with him. Um, but I just like, I didn't like his delivery of it. He was like super blunt about it uh-huh. and, like, in, in a way that even, even though like I was, this was on my radar, it wasn't something that was like a new concept to me. Mm-hmm. You're still like talking about somebody's baby. Yeah, you know what definitely. I mean? yeah. And it's like, it's, it, I, I, I have a hard time with that in general mm-hmm. and I have to like tell myself like okay they're not trying to offend you yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean because it's just I mean you know you have kids like that mama bear just mm-hmm. like you, you can't help it it just comes out yeah um so yeah so that that so the moment when he said that it was like I, I felt like the wind was knocked out of me it really sure. it was I was so taken aback by it um but basically from from there then that that did actually spur us to kind of it was sort of what lit a fire then for us mm-hmm. to be like okay we, we really need to pursue this and then like I said, we ended up getting the medical diagnosis, but it is interesting all the different avenues that people can mm-hmm. take. Cause especially like talking to people on the podcast, like there's, there's so many 
different ways Mm -hmm. to go about getting a diagnosis. And it is kind of hard to know, like, okay, who is the best doctor to see? What is the best thing to do? Mm -hmm. And I think one good thing about doing the school-based route too, I think is it's usually pretty fast within a few months from, you know, assigning the permission to evaluate, you have the full evaluation, which I know some medical, if you go the medical route, it can be months and months where you're on waiting lists. And I think that's improved a little bit, but, um, and I think too, if you have a student who like, we evaluate a lot of kids who are in early elementary, they didn't really have any developmental concerns or red flags. They might've been a little bit late talker, but nothing that's really concerning. It's more when they get to, you know, second, third grade, where they're expected to do a lot more like higher level skills, more abstract thinking, more the social demands are have moved more play based to that reciprocal, you know, communication piece. And that's where I think students who, you know, they don't necessarily need a medical diagnosis, they just need some support in school. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think, one good piece of just doing the educational evaluation is for those types of kids who, um, you know, they might not need services outside of school, but they do need help with the education piece. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when you do have kids like that, who maybe are a little bit older, and they have like, you know, gotten by to this point, is it usually then like, the the teacher that's saying there's an issue or is it the parents because I imagine like there I mean I know obviously we all try to be the best parent that we can be to our kid but there's definitely people who are maybe like in denial about certain situations yeah and I feel like especially if you if you haven't you know taken the medical route to things Mm -hmm. do you is that hard to like tread that water sometimes um, I've had it both go both ways. I've had it where parents are extremely upset and, you know, are in total disagreement. And then I've had other parents who say, you know, that makes sense. You know, I always, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thought something, but it never really seemed like that big a deal. Um, there's also, you know, if it's their first kid and that's, they didn't know any different. Um, I've also worked with a lot of families who the cultural aspect really, you know, impacts how mm-hmm. they view what education could be. You know, especially with some of those cultures where the academic piece is the most important piece. So you have these students who, you know, are getting good grades, but they can't mm-hmm. work with peers. They don't play with anyone on the playground. They can't, like, navigate the social piece of school. Well, to that, the parents, they're like, well, they're, you know, they're getting straight A's. That's mm-hmm. all that matters kind of thing. So that, that's been interesting as well, dealing with, you know, different cultures and autism. Yeah, that that is really interesting. That makes yeah. sense. I've also worked with families who, um, you know, and in, in some other cultures, the students with more significant autism, nonverbal and things like that, they see that as more like in their culture, that's those people are thought of as like the most intelligent and oh. kind of like the, um, I don't know, like, a, I don't like what the word would be in their culture, but like a higher ranking person who is intelligent mm-hmm. and you know, it's more understanding of non, you know, things in nature and things like that. So that's been interesting as well. I kind of like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think we, we know kids with autism, there's certain things that they are really knowledgeable about and very in, you know, in tune to different things that we don't pick up on. Well, they, they're, they're really special kids. And I say that not, you know, in a special needs kind of a way, but it's Mm -hmm. like, any any child that I have met with autism, they are, 
I mean, it's just, it's hard to put your finger on it, but it's like, I mean, obviously like I have, you know, my, my son who's my world, but um, to me, it's like, I, I really feel like Logan was put in my life to, to teach me something and to teach other people something too. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it is like a different, it shifts your mindset when you, when you look at things like through the lens of autism and I, and it is so interesting um, just all the amazing things that I've, I've learned from him. And I'm like, it's, it's crazy. Cause I never would have expected this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is like, it's, it is, I mean, it's hard, but it's, it's such a blessing at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, so tell me a little bit then for you, like, as far as like, kind of like how we're saying, like, you know, these kids are really special. Were you initially like, wanting to work with kids with autism like was this something like growing up you were like I'm interested in autism like how did that even come about for you I'm always interested in people like if they don't have a family member sure yeah I don't have a family member I I think really the first person I met with autism was when I was in college like I don't really remember anyone who I knew had autism you know because you don't know someone has autism necessarily Mm -hmm. um But one thing I do have to say is my mom has been a nurse my whole life, and she did a lot of um, home health care nursing, and she would sometimes have kids um, come to our house, and she would provide, like, respite care to them. And these were kids who were, you know, not mobile on feeding tubes, um, nonverbal, certainly, and just very, you know, high needs medically. And so I think Mm -hmm. I've always kind of grown up in my family with this, like, idea that we're going to include everyone and everyone has, you know, special things they can bring to, you know, the, the world, regardless of who they are. So I think that kind of growing up with that mentality and certainly led me to my career. Um, and probably I love that. Because of autism. So I, I remember I had memories growing up where, you know, we'd have kids for the weekend that my mom was, you know, do, providing respite care for, and we would yeah. play with them and, you know, as much as they could being, you know, non-mobile, but yeah, it was, so I'm sure that led me partially to my career. I, I love that. I think that is like such a, well, first of all, your mom sounds amazing. <laughs> she, <laughs> she sounds like an amazing woman. Um, but I, it's, it's interesting because I always, I talk a lot about it cause I have two younger daughters, you know, as well. Logan's my oldest. And okay. I think so much about like that they're, you know, they're growing up with, with special needs, just like being a part of their Mm -hmm. lives. Like Mm -hmm. this is just all they know. And Mm -hmm. my, especially I have a three-year-old daughter who my other one's one. So she doesn't really know what's going on. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my three-year-old daughter, she is like, I feel like in so many ways, she's like so ahead of the curve in terms of like, just like empathy and Mm -hmm. compassion Mm -hmm. because she, she shows like such like love and understanding to her brother who's you know three years older than her sure. but it's just like she she just has been brought up like in this you know this is all she knows mm-hmm. um so it's interesting that you say that because I always wonder like what her path will be yeah definitely <laughs> one of the programs that I started at one of the elementary schools I worked at which is one of the things I think has been the most impactful is I started a peer program so um we had but when the program was established, the autism program, there was probably 15 to 20 students with autism. Um, and then we had the same amount of typically developing peers who um, I provided training to them of how to work with kids with autism and just general, you know, how to be understanding and communicate mm-hmm. and things like that. 
And then every week we got together and did an activity with their partner. So it was the, the individual with autism and then their peer buddy. And I think the peer buddies got out of it just as much as the students with autism. It was a great program. I still, I've seen students like, oh, I remember doing that, you know, the peer, peer mm-hmm. buddy program. So I think it is true. If you can, you know, just meet one person who yeah. that you can learn, hey, they might learn differently than me. They may communicate differently than me and they may act differently than me, but they're a kid too. And I think, you know, that's important for all of all students to learn. Oh my gosh, totally. I just, um, for, for Autism Awareness Month, I wanted to, I wanted to do something, you know, that was actually going to help raise awareness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I had reached out to Logan's teacher, my son's teacher. And I was like, I, I've had a couple different authors on, on the podcast. And one of them, she wrote this book called, why is he doing that? And it's a really great book for, for little kids to help mm-hmm. them understand autism so I had said to Logan's teacher, I'm like, I would really like to read this to the typical kindergarten classroom because mm-hmm. Logan's in self-contained. Mm-hmm. So all the kids in his class have autism. Cause I'm like, you know, these are the kids that like, if we can reach them now at this young age sure. and just tell them like, you know, this is autism. It's okay. It might be a little different, but you know, let's just include everyone. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's respect everyone. Um, so I was able to do that and it was, it was such a, a wonderful experience yeah. and just seeing, seeing the way that these kids are like, so, especially as little kids, like they're, they're so loving and, mm-hmm. and, and kind at this age. And I'm like, we need to just continue this all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think the, the younger the kids can be exposed to other kids who are different than them and realize, you know, Hey, yeah. there's things we have in common too. Once they, you know, get his upper elementary and middle school and high school, that's going to be like normal to see just people yeah. who are different than you in general, which that's just the lesson everyone needs right now. Oh my gosh, for but, sure. Yeah. That peer program sounds amazing though. How old were these kids that you were doing this with? Um, K through fifth. So all elementary ages, but it, it has the program now since I haven't been with it. It's like some of the students are in high school and the peer program still going on. So it can be done with, you know, any ages, oh but yeah, it's, I think every school should have something similar. I'm going to suggest that <laughs> my son's school. And what we did is, you know, we, as the school psychologist, I, we had nominations from teachers for the typical peers. So we already picked kids who okay you know, were good students and compassionate and things like that. And then, Um, provided training they had to have parent consent and then they did like a weekly activity Um, they even went on like some field trips together so yeah it was a really cool program oh my gosh I I really am just that because that just sounds so awesome I love that (laughs) that's amazing um okay so kind of going back then um for you for you now because you were saying that you are so you're in in Pennsylvania uh, but you're telling me like Delaware is like hop skip it and jump away I work I work in schools in Delaware and Pennsylvania so okay I'm licensed in both states gotcha and you were saying that so now you do more like consulting for Mm -hmm. for different schools so is this like the schools are are seeking you out then to like come in to evaluate the kids or are you just like yeah that's that's exactly right so um, in the, the area that I am, there's a lot of charter and private schools and there is not really a need for a full time school psychologist just because their number special education population is much smaller than like a traditional public school would be. Um, so right now I have kind of twofold. Um, I do evaluations for some of the schools that I work for, um, for a variety of disabilities. So it's not just autism, but I also do 
for many more schools, especially charter schools who may only have like one or two students with autism. It's not a lot. I do um, come in and do the evaluation piece. So all of that that I just described, including the ADOS um, assessment. And Mm -hmm. and also I'll do like parent and teacher consultation. A lot of teachers, you know, aren't sure what to do or how to develop a behavior plan or help with the communication piece. So I'll develop that for schools as well. So um, that's really, you know, something I love to do. And I love to work with teachers and parents and help Mm -hmm. them navigate, you know, problem behavior or a social situation or, you know, the communication piece. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And it's great to be able to work with a variety of different students off across a variety of different settings. And, um, yeah, it's so, it's a nice flexible opportunity to work with just a lot of different students. Yeah. Um, is, is the ADOS what you were talking about with the, the observation? Mm-hmm. As, as part of the evaluation? Yes. So the okay. autism diagnostic observation schedule. So oh, okay. gotcha. yeah, it, it's mostly uh, it's to, to a naked eye. It just looks like an observation, but it's really quite structured, but it's presenting a lot of opportunities to this child or the student to see how they respond. So a lot of times people think like, oh, it's a test. I'm going to sit down and like ask you questions or mm-hmm. show you pictures, but it's more just like setting up the environment to see how how they respond and it's can be given to there's an infant or it's actually a toddler not an infant a toddler module that would be the youngest mm-hmm. um, and then there's a module for nonverbal individuals um, a module for individuals with single words or just short phrases um, a module for uh, individuals with a few like short phrases and then fluent speakers so for any you know individual with autism there's an assessment for it <laughs> I like that there's like, yeah, like all different kind of mm-hmm. like for, for all different levels of communication. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard of ADOS when you first, when you said the whole, I feel like everything with autism, I mean, you know, it's, everything's an acronym. <laughs> sure, I know. <laughs> and I usually know the acronym, but I don't always know what it stands for. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you first said it, I'm like, I don't know if I know that, but I, I, I do know I've at least heard of the ADOS. Yeah. Yeah. It's the um, gold standard in autism assessment. So yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Sure. If you're seeking out an autism evaluation for your child, ask for the ADOS. Okay. That's a really good tip. That's mm-hmm. actually the next thing that I was going to say. What, what is, what would be like your best advice to, cause like I said, most of the parents that listen to this, a lot of times are, you know, new in this process mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily know which way to turn. What would be like your best advice to, to parents like mm-hmm. that who are just kind of getting started and, they're feeling overwhelmed. Sure. Yeah. It's definitely overwhelming. Um, and I'm sure even as a parent, there's just so many diff- different information out there and ways to do it. So what I would say is if your child is three, contact your local school district and say you want an evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, by law, they have to provide an evaluation. Um, it depends on the state, but it's usually within 50 or 60 days. So that would be the route that you would want to go first because you're going to need an educational classification to access school-based services. So you're going to need that regardless of if you seek out a medical diagnosis. So I think that's mm-hmm. important. Um, you're going to have to do the school piece if you want services through the school. Um, and then I would also get a referral from your pediatrician to a local, every area now has either the children's hospital or some sort of autism evaluation center or um, through a university or something like that. So I would seek, look out those in your area. There may be a longer waiting list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 
if you have a young child, I would do those things concurrently because we know early intervention is key. So there's not time to kind of wait and see. Um, I think that's the worst advice is would be to just kind of wait and see. If you feel like as a parent, everyone told me to do. (laughs) Yeah. If you feel like as a parent, there's a concern. Yeah. Like why wait and see, you know, and Mm -hmm. just even if like at least get speech therapy started, get occupational therapy, get whatever Mm -hmm. services you can get while you're kind of navigating this road. Because I think just waiting to see if kids, you know, grow out of it. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful advice. At least get the evaluation. Then you have a professional telling you that there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. But just waiting and see is, yeah. I always see on Facebook groups and stuff, you know, how people post things like, oh, my kid's doing this. And yeah, 90% of the advice is, oh, my kid do, did that too. And do they're fine. And I'm just, yeah. like, I just I think, know. yeah, as parents, like, if you have a concern, you know, act on it, contact your mm-hmm. school district, talk to your pediatrician. And at least get the evaluation. Then you have a professional telling you that there's no concerns. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that you say that. Because now when people reach out to me, that's exactly what I tell them. Is I'm like, if you have this feeling in your gut, follow it. Mm-hmm. And whatever that means for you, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Because I get it. Like, it's super scary. But, I mean, I, like I said, from the time that Logan, I had to push for him to get evaluated by early intervention when he mm-hmm. was eight months old. Yeah. I had- push for him to to get the referral to go see the developmental pediatrician like people and then and even then it was like he was already in preschool at that point and they and everyone was telling me I think it'd be better if you waited until kindergarten to Mm -hmm. have him evaluated because they're like you know he's so young now and I think everyone is does have that mentality of like oh maybe he'll catch up Mm -hmm. but it's like like you said you're you're not really helping anything by waiting yeah Definitely not. I think like we, I mean, research shows the earlier you get a diagnosis, the better your outcomes are by far. So yeah. if you have a diagnosis well, if- by three or four, your outcomes are going to be, you know, much better than if you wait till their school age. Yeah, totally. Cause then it's like, you know, okay, if nothing's wrong, then great. Nothing's wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. But if, if there is, then it's like, okay, at least now you can, you know, you can get a game plan, you can get things moving. I do think it's hard because, I mean, I know for us, we were on like an eight month waiting list. Sure. So yeah. it took, it took us a really long time mm-hmm. to, to get the evaluation. And then once we had the evaluation and, or once we had it and he was, you know, diagnosed with autism, then it was like, okay, let's, let's get him an ABA. Let's mm-hmm. do everything we can. And then like, that was a super long process too. So sure. it's just like, everything takes a really long mm-hmm. time. So if you can just like get it started as soon as you can, because exactly. like yeah. you're going to be waiting, waiting for a while. And the waiting is like the hardest part of all mm-hmm. of it. Cause you're just, you know, you're stuck in limbo. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I've, I understand where parents are coming from because if you have, if you seek out an evaluation, that's almost like then you're admitting or acknowledging that maybe there is something wrong. And you know, I've mm-hmm. gone through things with my own kids, same kind of thing. It's like, well, I don't know if I should do it because, you know, it's scary, but I think Super scary. If you're concerned. You need to, you know, gather information. Knowledge is power and it's not going to change yeah. who your kid is. It's yeah. going to give you more information on how to help them. Absolutely. Yeah. So true. Oh, well, 
I so appreciate you coming on the pod and letting me pick <laughs> your brain. Sure, I feel like we um, barely scratched the surface of uh, maybe we'll I know. Need a repeat. I just, I, we, we may, we probably do have to do part two. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so much to be said about autism. It's so interesting because, like, I before I had Logan, I knew nothing mm-hmm. about autism. I, I, I mean, I had like kind of like how you were saying you didn't know anyone. Like personally, I I knew nobody personally. I had no connection to autism and it was just, it wasn't on my radar. And, and now it's like, I feel like, especially with the podcast, like I'm talking to people constantly who are, you know, either parents of of a child with autism or they're in the field or they have, you know, a sibling with autism. Mm -hmm. It's just like, and, and we all, we all have such like different stories and different paths, but it's just like, there is so much to be said. Oh, Definitely. It's such an, it's such an amazing and just, it, it, it's, it's so interesting how we still don't know that much about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, there's so much to find. And I, sure. I thought of just one other thing I just wanted to share before we oh, end the podcast, please. if you have a minute. Um, yeah. I so do. I think I just want, I guess, since a lot of parents listen to this podcast, um, yeah. in my role, parents of kids with autism are certainly the most litigious group of parents against schools. And I just want parents to know that I think school teams are really trying to do what's best for their kid. Um, You know, working with speech therapists and occupational therapists and myself as a school psychologist and special ed teachers, we really want what's best for your kid too. And, you know, in my experience, all the teams I've worked with have been amazing and really want your kid to make progress and want you know, them to have the best experience at school that they can too. So I think that's important for parents just to know that schools want to work with you, you know, for what's best for your kid. I I appreciate you saying that. I think that's important to remember, especially right now, because I feel like we're all in like IEP season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Those are stressful <laughs> um, for everyone yeah. involved. And there's so much information. And, you know, I'm, I know as a parent, it has to be totally different sitting on the other side of the table but if we can everyone can work together Mm -hmm. you know all students and children will be much more successful I totally agree I think it's it's hard sometimes like I I feel like we have been pretty lucky um so far this year so Logan's IEP is coming up in a couple weeks and I feel like this is the first year that I feel like pretty good Mm -hmm going into it like I feel like we have a pretty a pretty very open communication between like me and his teacher Mm -hmm. and his his team um so that that feels really good um but it's interesting because obviously like I said I I, know I talked to a lot of people who who listen to the podcast we're all kind of in the same boat um and it does it does sometimes seem like the the cards are just like stacked against you you know like as the parent Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any advice, I guess, now that we're talking about this, any advice for parents like going into an IEP, you know, if they have a certain idea of, of what they're looking for and the, you know, powers that be have a different idea? Well, I think as parents, they should always request a copy of that draft IEP before the meeting. So all school districts are required. And I guess I can't speak for all 50 states, but all the states I've worked in. Um, if a parent requests the IEP ahead of time, they can get a copy of that, which I think as a parent, it's much less scary going into a meeting where you've been able to review everything. Um, so I would definitely recommend requesting a copy of the IEP. Um, and I think too, it's okay to have disagreements about what you see, you know, is best. And I think if you bring to the table, this is what I think should be in my, my child's IEP and this is why, um, 
you know, most IEP teams, unless it's some outrageous request, will, you know, say, oh, that makes sense. You know, they want the parents to be happy um, mm-hmm. with, with the document and everyone working together. And then I guess my last piece of advice is just remember, you don't have to sign anything at that meeting. You can take things home to think about them. That's perfectly fine. You're not offending anyone as long as you, you know, are kind and say, like, this is, I, I just want respectful. to think it over. Yeah, kind and respectful and professional. Yeah. And I think as teams, we know that no one knows the child better than the parents. I mean, the parents know the child best. So yeah. if we can all work together, and I would say those three things ask for a draft IEP, you know, in a nice way, ask for any changes (laughs) that you think would want to be in there. And then don't feel like pressure to sign it that day. That's really good advice. Asking for for a draft beforehand. I have never done that before. And I love that idea. (laughs) Because everyone else at the table has read it. So why shouldn't the parents? Yeah. Yeah, definitely ask for a draft. You do like you, you do kind of walk in there and you feel like you're like, kind of on the defense mm-hmm. and it, at least that way if you have all the information then you're you feel like you're a part of the yeah. team and you, know? you can add things you know write your questions down or ask for clarification and the meetings tend to go a lot smoother too because then you're not reading it line by line because if you you know say oh have you already gone through this yes okay well let's go you know just review the points where you had questions or you know we want to discuss in more detail so because some of those IEP meetings especially if you have multiple related services, or if it's a reevaluation year, they can get really long. So it's nice when the parents, you know, already come with their questions ready. Yeah, no, I, I love it. That's really, really good yeah. advice. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing wisdom. <laughs> Thanks. I tried. <laughs> yeah. We may have to do a part two. Maybe we could do like some like listener questions. Oh, that would be a good idea. Sure. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that'll be in the works then. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. It was so wonderful to, to chat with you. And I just really, like I said before, people that don't have like a connection, a personal connection to autism, but are like, you know, so, so drawn to these kids and helping them in the field. I just think that it's such a, I have such a respect and admiration for people like you and you know as a as a mom with a kid with autism I just want to say thank you because I feel like we need people like you to to help our kids oh well thank you I'm happy to do it oh that's amazing okay well thank you so much Catherine okay have a good night you too Bye. bye Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Catherine. I felt like she had so much good info to share, so many awesome tips and just things that I didn't even necessarily realize. So let me know if you guys would like to do a part two, if you have like specific questions for her, because I think that'd be really cool to talk to someone who actually, you know, does the diagnosing. So if you guys have a question that you wanted to ask her, let me know and maybe we can bring her back for round two. (laughs) Um, Like I said before, I really appreciated really everything she had to share, but the, the tip that she gave about asking for a draft copy of the IEP, I don't know why, but that never occurred to me. (laughs) And it was never something that was offered up before. So we actually, we have Logan's IEP just coming up in a couple days and I recently got a copy of his draft and I can't even tell you how much just what a weight lifted that is that I I already have that and I know what we're going to be talking about and 
I actually feel really comfortable <laughs> with everything. Um, I've already been speaking really openly with his teacher and we've been really lucky this year. His teacher has had great lines of communication open for us. Um, and like I said, having that, that draft and be able to look over it, Catherine is so right. I feel like going into this meeting, I know exactly what I, I want to talk about, what I have questions about and the rest of it, I already have in print, so I don't even have to <laughs> have to worry about it. Um, so that I thought was just a really good tip. And yeah, I'm probably going to do an episode coming up soon, kind of going over IEP and, and that kind of stuff just for us personally. So that's really it for today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. Again, I love hearing from you guys. If you have a story you'd like to share, if you want to just ask me a question, say hi. I love it. Again, if you would be so kind to leave a review on Apple podcast that really does help people find the show. And then we can just, you know, share the love, but that is all for now. So until next time, take care.